Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 18 from the World English Bible. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, a man of Pontus by race, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. He came to them, and because he practiced the same trade, he lived with them and worked, for by trade they were tent makers. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. When they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook out his clothing and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. He departed there and went into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Don't be afraid, but speak and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. He lived there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If indeed it were a matter of wrong or of wicked crime, you Jews, it would be reasonable that I should bear with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves for I don't want to be a judge of these matters. So he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. Gallio didn't care about any of these things. Paul, having stayed after this many more days, took leave of his brothers and sailed from there for Syria, together with Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head in Sencria, for he had a vow. He came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay with them a longer time, he declined, but taking his leave of them, he said, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the assembly and went down to Antioch. Having spent some time there, he departed and went through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, in order, establishing all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by race, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. He was mighty in the scriptures. 
This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he had determined to pass over into Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to receive him. When he had come, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews, publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. That is the end of chapter 18. Referring to a map regularly while reading Acts has made reading more clear to me. The names are less meaningless and the narrative gains substance. So first here, we have Paul leaving Athens. And Athens is on a southern tip of the Greek peninsula. And he goes from there and crosses to Corinth, which is about 50 miles due west. Second, in verse 2, we meet Aquila, who is from Pontus. Notice that the word race here references that he lived primarily in or had his family established there. In fact, the New King James Version translates this section as born in Pontus. In this case, this has nothing to do with his genetics because it is stated that he is a Jew. Looking in my Webster's New World College Dictionary 4th Edition, there is an entry for the word race that says it can legitimately mean any geographic population. So although the word currently in today's culture has some heavy political usage referring to skin color, it is just a word like group or category, and the characteristics of the group can then be specified. In this case, it's where he was born. This translation of the World English Bible also uses race this way in verse 24 when it describes Apollos, who is also a Jew by birth. The text never mentions how or when Aquila and Priscilla believed on Jesus as the Christ. It is hard for me to imagine it not being mentioned if they had heard it from Paul. There is also the implication of their maturity in the faith based on them going with Paul in verse 18 and how they helped Apollos in verse 26. They are also listed in other places in the Bible. In Romans 16.3, Paul lists them as his helpers, and in 1 Corinthians 16.19, it mentions them having a church in their house. Notably, they are mentioned together every time, and three times with Aquila listed first, and two times with Priscilla first. The instance in Romans is Paul himself giving Priscilla's name first. This seems to have some meaning. It is an honor. So Priscilla is not an afterthought or just an addendum to Aquila, and it seems to emphasize the complete union they have in Christ. It, of course, also brings up the question about how to make sense of this in light of Paul's statement in 1 Timothy 2.12 about a woman not teaching or having authority over a man. The King James Version is helpful here, and the phrasing is in this verse of 1 Timothy 2.12 that a woman is not to usurp authority over a man. And as we noted in Acts 11.18, the The description or the injunction to be silent is often used to mean don't be contentious or argumentative. It doesn't mean never to speak, but we'll talk a little bit more on this when we get to verse 26. In verse 5 here, we have Paul speaking to the Jews specifically again. 
Besides the desire he had to do this, it is practical since the Jews are known to be the people of the one true God. They have preserved his scriptures, albeit not by their own might or wisdom. But there is some practicality to beginning with the Jews and then, unfortunately, confronting their opposition, those who do oppose the gospel. The new Gentile believers will be helped by seeing how all this fits together and that the Jews who don't believe are not to be looked to as authorities in this matter. I always pause when I hear the word blaspheme as it is used about the Jews here in verse 6. It is a particularly biblical word, meaning, according to Strong's, to vilify, to defame, to revile, and to speak evil. There seems to be an intensity of ongoing railing in its meeting. It is intentional and visceral. It was actually the charge for which Jesus was crucified, ironically. As Smith's Dictionary says, blasphemy is willful, determined opposition to God. In other words, these Jews here in Corinth were in no way listening or discussing. There could be no more effort to persuade those who are acting this way, and they were make it making it so that Paul could not talk anymore in the synagogue. Then when Paul says he is now going to the Gentiles, in context, he means there in Corinth. For we see in verse 19 in Ephesus, he again goes to the synagogue, and here he reasons with the Jews who ask him to stay longer, although he does not. Verse 7 of chapter 18 seems to say that Paul's place of speaking and discussing was now at the house of justice rather than the synagogue, which was just next door. It is curious that the next thing said in verse 8 is that Crispus believed. So though the blaspheming Jews made further preaching of the gospel in the synagogue virtually impossible, those Jews who wanted to hear still listened. It is also interesting that with Crispus, it says his whole house believed, and this seems to be not uncommon, as we heard it also with Cornelius, uh, indicating the godly and biblically-based relationships of those families. The vision, beginning in verse 9, seems to infer that even Paul needed encouragement. It doesn't say that Paul said he was afraid, but God felt that he needed to fortify him. He didn't scold him for being afraid. Now, based on his history, Paul had every reason to expect beatings and fleeing for his life, but God didn't want him to worry about that here. The telling of the vision ends with this statement, for I have many people here. I have previously taken this to mean that those were people who already believed in God who would help Paul, and that might be what actually happens in some respect, but upon rereading it, it seems to me that God is doing the protecting so that Paul can preach the gospel to those God has in the city, like these people are seeking God and are ripe to respond to the gospel. And again, another example is Cornelius and the other devoted Gentiles in the other synagogues who were already seeking God. God would call them his own, and then he would give them to Jesus. In verse 12, the proconsul Gallio enters the scene. He is in charge of Achaia, which is the province of the Greek peninsula as it was ruled by the Romans, and it's basically on the map shown to be from Berea southward. Gallio refuses to become involved in disputes and altercations based on Jewish law and culture. Apparently, there was nothing criminal, according to Roman law, about them beating Sosthenes. 
whether or not the beating was related to the charges against Paul, and that whole discussion there is not stated, it could have been a separate incident, and whether or not this same Sosthenes is the one mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1 is not clear since there are no defining titles given there. On a side note, extra-biblical historical sources also verify Gallio's role as proconsul here, and he was the brother of the famous philosopher Seneca, and he was apparently, Gallio was apparently highly regarded and considered a kind man. When we get to verse 18, Paul sails towards Syria with Priscilla and Aquila, but he leaves them at Ephesus. The comment about Sencria means that he had his hair cut there before sailing, which Sencria is just a few miles south of Corinth. The description of the vow makes it seem likely that this is the Nazarite vow as it is described in number six. If you look up Nazarite in Easton's Bible Dictionary, it points out that this vow was one taken for life by three very distinct people, Samson and Judges, Samuel in 1 Samuel 1.11, as it was his mother who made this vow for him, and in Luke 1.15, John the Baptist. Exactly why Paul made the vow is not given. Suffice to say that, at the very least, he is still Jewish, and it is still an outward statement of setting himself apart for God. So Paul heads to the port at Caesarea, then to what was kind of his home base of Antioch. In our current Western culture, we tend to think of north as up, but apparently in this culture, in this time period, down is the appropriate description. And this seems to be verified also in verse 21. It says that he must keep the coming feast and that he had gone up and greeted the church. And that seems to be speaking of going south to Jerusalem. But after this, Paul heads back to Galatia and Phrygia, basically going full circle from what he started in Acts 16. Then in verse 24, we meet Apollos. He is the Apollos of 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6 fame, where Paul chastises the Corinthians for dividing into groups based on specific teachers instead of just meeting very specifically according to being believers of Jesus Christ. There are so many positive descriptions of Apollos here in Acts. He is eloquent, he is mighty in the scriptures, he is fervent in spirit, he taught accurately, and he spoke boldly. And then we see that he is open to being made more fully aware of the gospel. He, there's no indication that he got offended. So after getting the necessary teaching from Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos decides to go over to Achaia across the Aegean Sea, recall, because Ephesus is on the east shore of the Aegean Sea and Achaia is, on, is west across the sea. And then in verses 27 and 28, it specifically says that when Apollos was refuting the Jews, this was a great help to those who believed through grace. And through grace here means that the gospel was offered through grace. There was no works involved, nothing they could do to earn it. And one more note about verse 27, uh, a note in the World English Bible points out that the word brothers in verse 27 is gender inclusive, meaning brothers and sisters. So he was encouraging everyone in the church. So backing up just a bit to Aquila and Priscilla explaining things to Apollos. Naming both Aquila and Priscilla gives us every reason to think they were both speaking 
They both took him aside. They explained to him. On the other hand, it is not just Priscilla explaining things by herself. However, this interaction in context does support the idea that Paul's words about women not asserting or claiming authority is the meaning of 1 Timothy 2.12. This is not unlike the part where Paul says a woman's beauty should not be with braiding of hair, and he doesn't mean never braid your hair. He means don't do it excessively in the fashions that are trying to be ostentatious. So especially when you take into consideration the sections about women prophesying in the very interactive church as it is described in the Bible, there is good reason to believe that Paul was all for women taking part in the church meetings and interactions. But I'm going to leave discussing this, and particularly as it applies to prophesying and teaching in the biblical church context for another time. I want to read more and pray more regarding understanding these things. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 